Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina. I'm a pastor's wife, a mom of seven, a Bible teacher, and an author. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter. Together with our whole family, we are all in ministry, and we love to build up Christ's church, and we love to lead people into reading and understanding the whole Word of God. And that's what this podcast is dedicated to. In this season, we are answering by Bible questions, any questions that listeners or viewers submit, we are committed to digging into the Word of God because we think that answers to all matters of faith and practice can be found in God's Word. And so this week, we are going to look at a question that really requires that we have been committed to reading God's whole Word. Yeah, sure. One of the things that I do in my book that I recently released, Step Into Scripture, is try to front load a lot of Old Testament, New Testament connections so that for the person who is reading the Bible for the very first time, when they come to something confusing Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament that they're not going to understand fully until they get to the New Testament, they can go ahead and know what that means out front. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we get into those things when we're reading the Bible for the first time and we just check out because this is confusing. It doesn't make any sense. And so today's question that we're going to take on is one of those things where we needed to have read the entire Bible and done it on a time frame where by the time we get to the mm-hmm. New Testament, we've not forgotten <laughs> about this cryptic thing sure. we came across in the Old Testament right. so we could make the connection. So this week, we are going to dig into the mystery of Melchizedek. Yep. The question that we received was posed like this. I would love to understand more about the reference of Melchizedek to New Testament communion. So I love that. Mm -hmm. We are going to dig into shadows of the Lord's Supper that we find in Scripture and also the New Testament realities that are foreshadowed by this biblical character Melchizedek, Mm -hmm. who is very much a mystery. Just a little bit of information about him in the book of Genesis, a quick reference in the book of Psalms, and then in the Old Testament, yeah, that's all we get. Uh Now, I'll mention that we have looked at Melchizedek before on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Season 1, episode 10 was titled, I Need to Know the Important Stuff First. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that for a short take and overview on Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. But today, we're going to dig in deep and look at a lot more information about him. So Stacey, if you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself and bring us into the Melchizedek account. Yes, I'm so excited to do so. This is um, a highlight along a Bible journey reading um, because you only see, like you said, a blurb about it, and then you get to the New Testament and you're like, wow, I understand now. Um, But my name is Stacey Vines. I am honored to be a part of this podcast. Uh, Alongside my husband, we are small business owners and nonprofit starters here in our community. We are also um, families that have been with Ecclesia since its conception. It has been uh, a true blessing in our lives. And most of my life has been marked out by seasons of reading the Bible from start to finish. So I'm thrilled to be a part of this podcast, to wave this banner, and to encourage all of you to make that open-ended commitment 
commitment to read the Bible from start to finish, and then when you're done, do it again, and then do it again for the rest of our lives until we see Him and we see His glory revealed. All right, so to get us started, like you said, we only see a small amount of Melchizedek in the Old Testament, and the first place we find him and a reference to him is an encounter with someone that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, Abram. And so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 20. And it reads, After Abram returned from defeating Kedalamor, the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveb, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we'll start with just some background um, and some context. This is a key event in the story that God was writing through the life of Abram when he called him out of Ur. Remember, he, he asked him to go to the land that I will show you back in the 12th chapter of Genesis. And Abram responded with immediate obedience, which we saw in his life throughout the rest of the book. After Abram settled in the land with his nephew Lot, they were living right near east the plain uh, near Sodom. There were neighboring kings who attacked and took his nephew. They took Lot as a prisoner of war. And in response, Abram took the men of his household um, in pursuit of these kings. They recovered Lot, his people, um, all of their possessions. And this is what they were returning from, this victory of rescue. Lot when they are met by um, this character, Melchizedek, um, that we read about in Genesis chapter 14. And there are just these three short verses about him in this encounter, but there are so many powerful things that happened in this that we're going to unpack. This is the breaking it down that Tina talked about at the beginning of the episode. Um, This is just a blurb about Melchizedek, but this is super dense. There's a lot, so much so that in the New Testament, there's almost an entire letter devoted to just this character. So as we noted uh, the first time we discussed Melchizedek in this podcast back in season one, um, episode 10 that you talked about just a second ago, much of what seems to be mysterious or kind of just kind of thrown out there and kind of left dangling, kind of like a cliffhanger, we see revealed and unpacked in the New Testament, um, from the Old Testament into the New. And that's where we're going to learn more about Melchizedek, this king who was called King of of Salem, which is now most likely the place that we all recognize as Jerusalem. Melchizedek served Abraham bread and wine from that account. And this same memorial is what Christ used to appoint as his body and blood in the New Testament. And why is this important? Because what Melchizedek is really pointing us towards, right? Like so many things in Tina's book, Step Into Scripture, you uh, you point out, these are all things that are pointing us towards Jesus. Yeah. Melchizedek is doing the same yes. thing. The elements that he serves to Abram and to his men, this bread and wine, they're the same elements that Jesus used at his last supper when he compares, when he reveals that he is going to be this living sacrifice. He uses the bread and the wine of the Passover meal uh, to reveal that, right? To unfold this mystery of Melchizedek. But there's another um, important factor that we find in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 7 that unpacks this mystery of of Melchizedek. 
It says, Hebrews 7, verse 3, Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of Man, he remains a priest forever. So this is talking about Melchizedek as the picture of Christ. Yeah. He is the king and priest forever. And we still model these foundational truths when we come together that we find in the Melchizedek story when we gather for worship every Sunday. This is something that has become a critical element in my personal walk with Jesus, not something that I was raised um, to appreciate or that I even understood. And and now when I when I come to church, I love being a part of the assembly. I love worship. I love seeing my my church family. I love being a part of student ministry. I love all of these aspects of serving and what it looks like to come to church. But I recognize what is the point of coming to yeah. church. And we learn that foundational truth from this account of Melchizedek and the, the reality that Jesus brings in. Uh, the point uh, are two things. We come to service each week to bring our tithe and to partake in communion. Yeah. When we partake in communion, this bread and wine, we partake in what represents the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sin. And just like Melchizedek, Jesus is a priest. And in fact, he is our high priest and mediator, the one who which we go through to get to God. Um, and we see that so much through the, the New Testament, this um this revealing of Jesus and his purpose and the way and all of the things that he taught us about himself, we see he is the rep- he is the complete fulfillment of everything the Old Testament represented. Yeah. Um, and he is the, the better covenant. And a lot of what Tina is going to talk to us about in just a second from the book of Hebrews is Jesus, uh, is our ability to, it helps us understand how Jesus is the fulfillment and the the inauguration of that better covenant. What we read about Melchizedek and Abram and this bread and wine, this tithe and Abram paying honor to obviously the one who was greater, who is Melchizedek, we see that this is a part of the old covenant, the former way. What Jesus comes and accomplished is the fulfillment of that and the better way, the better covenant. But many of us also consistently give to God our tithe, that 10% um, of our income. And we see that modeled in the Old Testament. We see that modeled first here by Abram to Melchizedek. And why is all of this important? What does Melchizedek, communion, and tithe have to do with us? And why is this a foundational truth for us? This is its beginning, It is the Genesis in the book of Genesis, but it's the start of what we all look at every week as the reasons we come together to partake in the body and blood of Jesus, to remember the sacrifice, the purchase uh, into this new covenant relationship that we have with him. But we also see the beginning of the tithe. We see Abram uh, showing honor and giving uh, giving tithe to this King Melchizedek, who is uh, a priest forever. And it's our example, right? And so we come around these things every week um, in order to hold on to our foundational truth and to be reminded of what it costs for us to be a part of this new and better covenant and what our role is as we expand the Lord's church and we build the kingdom together. Yeah, for sure. And you know, something that's important to note here is that often people will neglect the tithe mm-hmm. because they believe that it is 
an old covenant relic. Sure. Something that is not applicable for us today, that it is part of the law that we're not held to. But that's proven false in this Melchizedek account. Yeah. Because Melchizedek predates the law. Abram hadn't even had his name changed by God to Abraham That's yet. That's a really good point. When he comes and encounters Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. So the establishment of the nation of Israel to whom the law was going to be given, that was centuries away still. Sure. And we also find the tithe prefigured in another account that also predates the law. And it's when Jacob was uh, on his way to Paddan Aram and he meets the Lord there. And that's when you have the account of Jacob's ladder. God speaks to Jacob in this dream and he confirms the blessing and the covenant that he had made with Abraham and Isaac, Jacob's grandfather and his father, and he gives that covenant to Jacob also. And Jacob sees this vision of angels ascending and descending on Mm -hmm. this stairway that goes up to heaven. And Jacob's response Mm -hmm. to receiving that covenant and receiving that blessing is that he vowed that the Lord would be his God and that he would give him a tenth of all that God gave to him. Right. So he tithes too. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the yes. Son of Man. You will see angels ascending yes. and descending on the Son of Man. He is the way in which we uh, come to the Father. And it is our. it should be our response to say, hey... This is the house of the Lord. I am the house of the Lord, and I will give my tenth. Um, I will be obedient. Yes. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go through Hebrews chapter 7 and this Mm -hmm. revelation we receive in the New Testament about Melchizedek. But I want to just lay the foundation here that the tithe is not an obsolete relic of the old covenant, but it's a discipline and a privilege that has been given to God's people before the law was ever given. Sure. But... There's so much significance in this Melchizedek account, not only in the way that he points us toward Jesus, but like you said, in the way that he models for us elements of worship, essential elements of worship, I would go so far as to say, Mm -hmm. millennia before the church was even born. But we know that the church was in the mind of God before the creation of the world. Mm -hmm. He tells us that in Ephesians. And so already he knew what the plan was, Mm -hmm. he knew how he was going to build it, and he knew what he was going to ask us to do. Right. In worshiping him. Mm -hmm. So we are going to take a dive into Hebrews chapter seven, and this is a meaty chapter, and we want to just read Mm -hmm. it section by section and find the truths there that are revealed about Melchizedek Mm -hmm. following up on that Genesis account that you opened us with, Stacey. So we'll start with Genesis 7, 1 through 3. This is a three-verse retelling, basically, of the three-verse account that you introduced from Genesis. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or end of days, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Right. So that's the Hebrew writer's introduction here, just recalling this thing that we read way back in Genesis. So if you're doing a Bible reading plan, you're thinking months back, Yeah. oh yeah, that was a strange thing that I read there Mm -hmm. that didn't make a ton of sense at the time. Uh Uh-huh. And now you get the revelation. So let's look at now how he expounds on this. Verses 4 through 10 in Hebrews 7. Just think how great he was. 
Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, and yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth, through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Now, that's a little bit wordy and confusing. And so I hope that you will go back and read slowly these verses, 4 through 10, sit with the words of the Hebrew writer. But the point that he's making here is that Abraham, who the Jews look to as the father and the originator of their faith, is inferior to Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. Now, how strange this must have been for the Hebrew audience who was receiving this letter Mm -hmm. if they had not known Christ to hear this. Yeah. Because Abraham, that's their father. Right. That's their patriarch. patriarch. Yes. And he's inferior to Melchizedek. And the Hebrew writer proves that because he says, from Abraham came the lineage of Levi, whose tribe, the Levites, became the priests of Israel. And then the Levitical priest's job were to collect the tithe from their fellow Israelites. But he points out Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Before any of that. And because Melchizedek was his superior... Mm -hmm. And so his ancestors, the Levites, Israel's priesthood, were also inferior to Melchizedek right? because it's as if they were paying a tithe to Melchizedek too Mm -hmm. through their ancestor Abraham. So I hope you'll lean into some truth and application of what we've just read. That was a lot of verses to make a point about the submission mm-hmm. that we express to our superior when we are faithful in paying a tithe. Sure. And so the Hebrew writer really gets into this, and, and he says so much about it that we need not ignore it. That verse 7, and without a doubt, the lesser is right. blessed by the greater. What are we talking about? We see Abraham's submission to a priest and a king. Mm -hmm. He honors him by giving him a tenth of his increase, and then he receives blessings in return. That's right. So let's apply this. Mm -hmm. What does this look like for us? Many, unfortunately, live under a financial curse today. They struggle from paycheck to paycheck. They're Mm -hmm. buried in debt. They're weighed down with anxiety over how they're going to make ends meet. They're never content. They're never at peace And Mm. I just want you to hear what God says about this. Why? Why are so many living under a curse and not under the blessing that we see Abraham receive? Well, the Bible lays it out for us. Malachi 3, I'm going to read 7 through 9. God says here to the people of Israel, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from the decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask... How are we to return? 
Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Right. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Right. So I hope you heard what we just read there. God gave the cause of the curse. It's because his people are robbing him. And this truth is just as real for us, the fulfillment of Israel, Christ's church, right. as it was for the nation of Israel. But then this is the good news. God gives the answer. Yeah. He gives the solution to break the curse. Next verse, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, Mm -hmm. says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Yeah. So I'm going to say something hard here. And it may offend some, but it will ultimately bless anyone who has ears to hear it. And it's this, I've never met someone who has been taught about and understood tithing and refuses to do it, Mm -hmm. who is not also in rebellion in some other area of their lives. Well, and you see in the example of Abram, when he met Melchizedek, Melchizedek didn't ask for the offering. Right. Abram never said you're so great. Thank you for giving me the bread and wine. So in response to that, I'm going to give you this tithe. Abram was counted for his immediate obedience of leaving Ur and going to a land he did not know. And in, in this same meeting of Melchizedek and seeing his priesthood, seeing his gifts to him, he responds in obedience. Yeah. The tithe is not as much about the amount you know, being hung up on the 10% or, you know, is it on my gross? Is it on my net? It's about the obedience and recognizing the seat that Jesus is in. He is king and priest yeah. and recognizing my obedience, what he has given to me. And this is how it's tied with our communion. Mm-hmm. What he has given to me calls out obedience in a glad uh a glad heart to give yeah. of my offering, to give of my tithe. Yeah, I want to take a minute and just throw back to last week's episode when we talked about how do I know God's will for my life. And there, Stacy, your husband shared a testimony, and and his answer really surprised me <laughs> because I asked him the question, where did the conviction to use your business to bring people to Christ originate? Mm-hmm. And if you missed this episode, I want you to go back and watch it. But just for some context here, Stacy's husband owns a plumbing and fire and water restoration company. You guys do HVAC work mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. So not uh, a trade that would typically be seen as sure. directly tied to ministry. <laughs> yeah. And so my question to him was, where did the conviction to use your business in that way begin? And what I expected from him was an answer about, well, we know that when we come to Christ, mm-hmm. we have a commission, we have a purpose, it's to bring people to Jesus, and so I wanted to use my business for that. But his answer instead was tithing. Yeah. Because I wanted to be obedient to God in tithing, mm-hmm. and I knew I could do that by surrendering my business to Him yeah. and saying, this isn't mine, mm-hmm. and a very real way to walk that out is by giving to God. and. Right. It's interesting that right after we recorded that episode, I was in a Bible study setting with another group of women, and we were talking about generosity, and one of our discussion questions was, who is one of the most generous people you know? <laughs> and one of the women in the group mentioned your husband. Yeah. And and many of the women um, know you, but they have not known you as long as I've known you, mm-hmm. and I took the opportunity to say to them, you know, I want you to hear what she just said 
that he's one of the most generous people that she knows because I think that that the women in the group could know you and look at you and think, well, yeah, it's easy to give because they're mm-hmm. abundantly blessed. God has blessed you all over and over again. And I said, he definitely has, but I want you to know that I've known Stacy for a long time. And I remember when Ecclesia was starting mm-hmm. nine years ago. And at that time, I was carrying around a mobile phone that was the church phone, and you were carrying around a mobile phone that was the plumbing phone. Yeah, that's right. And we were operating a church office out of my dining room, and you were operating a plumbing company out of your dining room. Mm -hmm. I mean, neither one of us had a dining room. No. You know? (laughs) That's true. And neither one of the organizations we represented had a building. No, or or paid us a paycheck. That's correct. Yeah. But even in that season, you know... It was very apparent that there is nothing that we have that is apart from God. Yeah. All of it is our offering. And, and in that, and, and even still, I shouldn't say in that season, even, even today, everything we do is meant to build the kingdom. Yeah. And that requires our offering yeah. of our time and our, and, and our finances. And so, you know, building business, whether it's, it doesn't matter what business it is. It can be plumbing. It can be HVAC. Sure. It can be ministry. Uh, if it is meant for God's gain and glory, you know, then it's His offering, you know, to do with what He chooses. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know this is an episode about Melchizedek as he relates to communion, but we would be doing a disservice mm. to everyone listening to this if we did not just be honest about that. Sure. If we didn't take a minute to recognize that Melchizedek receiving a tithe to Abraham was an expression of Abraham's submission to him as his superior and his giving a blessing to him in return was a foreshadowing of what God wants to do in our lives. That's why it's impactful, right? It can look like a blur on the page. And and even when we get to Hebrews in all of chapter seven and eight, and we can get there and and miss it if we haven't had all of the dots to connect it together. But the point is, is that Jesus is the king and priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he is our authority. Yes. He is the one we gladly submit to, and we gladly give our obedience yes. to, like Abram. And so I would just encourage you, apply this mm-hmm. truth. Yeah. Here's what it looks like. You take 10% of your gross income, and you give it to your local church, right? faithfully in an act of submission, and that's where you start. Now, there's a lot more we could say here. We probably sure. need to do just a whole episode about tithing. Let's do it. At some point. Mm-hmm. But we'll keep moving through Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7. Let's move to verse 11, and we'll read through 19. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood— Why was there need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron, because Aaron was a Levite? Mm -hmm. For when the priesthood changed, the law must change also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord, Jesus, descended from Judah, the tribe of Judah, And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. Mm -hmm. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Mm -hmm. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So this Hebrew writer is really digging in here, and we're Mm going to follow him. He's already noted that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham and to the priestly lineage of Levi um, because Abram gave him a tithe. We saw that. And now he notes that Jesus, who Melchizedek is a picture of, didn't even come from the tribe of Levi. Right. He came from the tribe of Judah. And like he says, no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. So what he's doing here is building this conundrum mm-hmm. of how is Melchizedek a priest forever mm-hmm. when he is not even associated with the tribe of priests who were to come ahead of him? Because the tribe of Judah, that was the lineage of kings in the Bible. And yet Jesus is recognized as a priest. The Hebrew writer says that this was not on the basis of his ancestry, though, like it was for all the Levites who served at the altar. Right. But he says it was on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So much power in that. Mm -hmm. Priests of the Levitical order offered sacrifices, but Jesus, who was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, was the sacrifice himself. And yet he lives. Right. Because his priesthood is on the basis of an indestructible life. Right. The grave could not hold him. So the writer then goes on to affirm and to celebrate Mm -hmm. this eternality of Christ, that he is indestructible, that he is the one who brings about a supreme priesthood. Verses 20 to 28, and it is not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Mm-hmm. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Mm. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he will always lives to intercede for them. Mm-hmm. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. <laughs> Unlike other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Mm-hmm. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Mm -hmm. So who is this mystery man, Melchizedek? As a priest and a king, he's a picture of Christ who conquered death. He put all things under himself in subjection to himself, and he united the position of priest and king, which was a complete anomaly to an Old Testament uh, Hebrew person Mm -hmm. to see those two offices become one. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2 says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So the Mm -hmm. Levites were an earthly priesthood, Mm -hmm. but Melchizedek was a picture of a coming heavenly priesthood. The Levites served in an earthly tabernacle while Jesus serves in a heavenly tabernacle. Mm -hmm. As a superior priest serving in a better tabernacle, the covenant he mediates is also better because this Levitical system of sacrifice that was in place when Hebrews was written had not yet come to an end, but it was about to come to an end. Hebrews 8.13 says, by calling 
this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. See, as long as Herod's temple in Jerusalem stood, sacrifices were continuing. Right. Even after Christ's death and resurrection, uh, some had not heard about it, some had not accepted it, many of the Jews had not accepted right. it, and so they continued to offer sacrifices there day after day. But when that temple was destroyed in 70 AD, that sacrificial system yeah. was destroyed for good. Today, Hebrew people do not offer sacrifices because God did just what the Hebrew writer said he was going to do, and he put an end to that obsolete system. Yeah, they don't even they don't have the means in which to fulfill that obligation that they still feel God has them under. They can't do it because what Jesus said would happen absolutely happened. Yes. And he now mediates a better covenant with us. And I know that we said we're going to stick in the Bible on this podcast, so I'm not going to go into detail here, but I'm just going to tell you there have been attempts to rebuild that temple and to reestablish that sacrificial system. And you can look into that for yourself and see what has happened when people have tried to do that. They have not been successful, and I don't believe they will be successful because that system is obsolete Mm -hmm. and it has been brought to an end, just like this Hebrew writer foretold. Right. He says it like this in chapter 9, verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Right. Because day after day, year after year, these priests would offer sacrifices in keeping with all these religious duties until Jesus completed the work by his one sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That's what Hebrews 10 talks about. So like Melchizedek, Jesus is now both priest and king and is one who rules over all like a king Mm -hmm. and one who mediates between us and God like a priest. There is no one else who is deserving of our trust and our allegiance, who is to be treated as our superior, who we give to generously and with a glad heart and who can in return bless us and bring us into communion with him. Have you ever wondered what the Bible says about male and female roles in the church? Maybe you have felt unsure of how what the Bible says about this lines up with modern culture. Is it even applicable today? If you have felt this way, we encourage you to go to YouTube and search Male and Female, A Biblical Look at Gender. This is a special six-part series produced by Renew.org to help Christians navigate what the Bible says about this polarizing topic and how to apply these teachings in your context today. If you would like to listen to this series, go to your preferred podcast platform and search the Real Life Theology Podcast, and they're becoming available there as well. If you would like all this great content in book form, you can go to Amazon.com and look up Male and Female, A Biblical look at gender to purchase Renee Sproul's new book with all this great information in it. We just highly encourage you to check that out and grab a copy today as well and share this series with anybody who may be struggling with this topic, who wants more clarity about how to understand it, apply it, and follow King Jesus more clearly today. Yeah, so so I hope as you as you listened or followed along uh, unpacking Hebrews, I hope that you caught the theme and where communion comes into this. Yes. Um, because if you, if you, if you slow, slowly take a look at it the way Tina encouraged us to through chapter seven of the book of Hebrews, you'll see where the communion comes into play and how Jesus uses this as now the established priest and king in the order of Melchizedek to basically wave the banner and say, Hey, 
red lights, here's the alarm. This should be dinging you to recognize this is the element of the covenant. This is my promise. This is its inauguration. So let's, uh, let's listen to what was foretold by God through the prophets and let's accept that Jesus has ushered this in. So before we tie this in with communion, we want to just sit really quick on the impact of that role that Tina just unpacked for us of Jesus in this priest and king. Melchizedek was both priest and king, pointing us towards Christ, who unites these two roles as one sovereign authority, right? Just like Tina said, he is the authority over us. He is certainly superior to us. We are blessed by him when we are obedient and submissive to him. And this was uh, not only modeled by the character of Melchizedek, but like we said, it was foretold by God um, in the prophets as well. So we just spent a good bit of time in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And now we're going to pop back to the Old Testament and look at the prophet Zechariah. And I think a lot of times we really champion, um, I know that I usually say, you know, in order to understand the New Testament, you have to read the Old Testament. And we sort of kind of like stick up for the Old Testament, like don't forget about the Old Testament. You really need to read it. Zechariah is one that you really need to read the New Testament to understand. Yes, or else it is a whole bag of crazy. It is a lot. There's a lot of <laughs> imagery and, and visions and symbolism and different things. And so if you've read Zechariah in the Old Testament and you're like, nope, I have no clue, <laughs> finish reading the whole thing, read the New Testament, go back and reread Zechariah. And now when we read these pieces together from this prophet, I'm sure it will make um, a great deal of sense to you. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, we read about the return of the Jewish exiles and the rebuilding of the temple. The same temple that we've talked about just a few moments ago that has not been rebuilt since its destruction in 70 AD after uh, Jesus predicted and foretold that this would happen. Zerubbabel was commissioned to complete this work, and then Joshua was going to be the one who would serve as the priest there in the temple. And this was a devastated country, people, and land. The Jews had to rebuild everything because everything was re- was destroyed. Yeah as a result of their sin and rebellion against God. They were taken as captives, carried off, exiled, and their land was destroyed. So now upon their return, they are starting over. And this would look like an excellent time to start off really great. Yeah. But let's see what happens. So in Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua stood before the angel of the Lord with Satan there, the accuser. The high priest here is uh, a representation of Israel, and it's Israel as as they have been retrieved from Babylon, from captivity. They've returned. They're filthy, and they're stained with sin. And here's what Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4 says. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. What occurred with Joshua is a depiction of what God was wanting and will would eventually accomplish for the entire world. And we see uh, just a little bit further down, Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Now we have read through the the New Testament. We know what he's talking about yeah. here. But in their day, they're looking they're awaiting this to come. They're awaiting this time where God says, "I will be with your people. Um the Lord Almighty has sent me to you." 
as a high priest, Joshua was the shadow of Christ, right? Just how we've been talking about Melchizedek and being the shadow of a priest and king, uh, shadowing Jesus. Here in this prophet's example, Joshua is the shadow of the reality in Christ, who is our high priest, who took away sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself, just like we just read through in Hebrews chapter 9. So like we said a second ago, Zechariah can be... Um, a bit heavy with yeah. visions, uh, all, all different types of images in these visions. And so while we look and, and we read that and we go, what are we talking about here? I can assure you, if you break it down, you'll see Jesus in every one of them pointing towards him. And all of it is revealed in the New Testament. Another example of that um, from Zechariah is chapter six, verse 11. God tells Zechariah to take silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Josadak. And why is that important? We just read that God is removing the filthy garment of Israel. He's removing this garment off of Joshua, this high priest that he wants to set to mediate in the temple that they are building. And now he says, bring the silver and gold, make a crown and put it on his head. Joshua, the high priest, again, represented Israel from chapter three, where the filthy robes are being removed. And now he is representing the Messiah, the king and high priest to come. And it says in Zechariah 6, 12 to 13, tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. He will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And here's the kicker. He will be priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. And we just spent all this time unpacking how Jesus unites this position of priest and king. We see it uh, understood and revealed in the New Testament. We saw that it was foretold and foreshadowed by Melchizedek. Now we see it even here with Joshua, the high priest of the second temple. And so this unity was an impossibility in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, this was not the way it was written, right? right? That law did not prescribe the ability for the king who was to rule over and the priest who was to mediate between God and the people like Tina uh, just explained. Those were never one and the same. They didn't come from the same line, right? The line of Levi for the priest, the line of Judah for the kings. In Jesus, though, God unites these two positions, and then he forms a new covenant, which was prefigured in Melchizedek, priest and king. The king, then now, this kingdom that Jesus rules, and the temple where he ministers, this is among spiritual realities. Again, these beautiful, real-life examples in the Old Testament we see totally fulfilled in this spiritual reality that we all participate in today um, and can absolutely uh, identify with now on this side um, of God's story. So now having unpacked the shadows of Melchizedek in that account and the sounds that we saw from the prophet Zechariah, let's move forward in Hebrews and find the implications of now why we partake in communion, right? This was where we started. This question started uh, us out looking at Melchizedek and why is it tied to the understanding and the, the commitment to communion? So we're going to head back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. And when we read this, we find that the Hebrew writer um, lays out his purpose, and it's to encourage God's people, don't lose heart, don't give up, uh, pursue God's rest. 
with Jesus as the guarantee of a better covenant, right? He has fulfilled the old and he has ushered in a new. And how did he do that? As the sacrifice for our sins once and for all, as Tina laid out for us just a moment ago. But in, in view of the old covenants, in view of the old covenant's requirement for atonement, this would be required. Jesus couldn't fulfill the old covenant without meeting the demand of that covenant. Right. And he met it with his perfect uh, sacrifice of himself. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So Tina, that might sound like a lot, right? We're talking about old covenant, new covenant. We're talking about the sacrificial system being done away with in Christ being the atonement, um, the sacrifice once and for all, this being the guarantee, right? The payment for this new covenant that we get to participate in. And then we read here from the Hebrew writer that, um, you know, we have our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. And why that is significant here in this conversation about communion is because the elements of this covenant, it's inauguration, just like the original covenant being inaugurated with their exodus into freedom of the covenant with God was this bread and this wine, this body and this blood. We see that we come into contact with that in these particular places. Yeah. But something that we don't want to skip over is another place where we come into contact with this. And I'm so glad that you included this um, in our show note, and it is um, in this part of your book, Step Into Scripture, on this day's reading. After describing Christ's supreme priesthood and sacrifice, right, this guarantee of the covenant, the Hebrew writer also tells us that when we have unrepentant sin in our life, right? If we're not being obedient, if we're not putting Jesus in this seat of supreme authority in our life, here's what he says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, that we are trampling the Son of God underfoot, treating as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and insulting the spirit of grace. Now that is a super heavy accusation and something we don't want to just say, drop, and move on from. But if we see these elements, if we see the blood of Christ as the sacrifice, the atonement, the covering, the purchase price of us being a part of this covenant, and we see communion as a part of that, we also see that our unrepentant sin is a trampling yes. on that. Yeah. And not something that we want to just overlook or forget uh, to include, to hold in our pocket as we walk out our obedience and submission to Christ. So now, let's look at another point of contact where we are uh, given, where we come into the presence of Christ's blood. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, which we've talked about several times so far in this uh, podcast, without landing at it in the New Testament uh, specifically, Jesus uh, reconstitutes these elements of the first Passover, yeah. right? The inauguration of Israel into this covenant relationship with God. Um, the Passover meal, he reconstitutes these elements of bread and wine uh, when he ushers in the new covenant that we have with him. Jesus ushers in this era of freedom so that all people, Jews and Gentiles, could enter into this new covenant, right? Seeking after this being at rest with God, we enter into a new covenant as God's holy and blessed people redeemed and reconciled through Christ's own sacrifice. So this is kind of the highlight, the climax of 
Melchizedek's bread and wine. Joshua, this high priest being crowned. Jesus, the night before, he gives his life. He reveals that he is going to be the sacrifice. He reveals that he is the fulfillment um, at this last Passover meal. And we read that account in Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28, where Jesus explains the new covenant. And here's what he says. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And again, that's Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28. This is a powerful example of humility and transparency of Jesus on the night he knows is his last with his friends at the dinner table celebrating what God has done in the history of humanity. Here he says, you get to partake, you get to partake in this with me and I'm going to accomplish this for you. Participation in this feast is no longer the memorial of the delivery of Israel out of the slavery that they found themselves in Egypt uh, centuries before this. Now we partake in the Lord's Supper, which we call communion, when we gather for worship by eating the bread that represents his body and drinking the juice that represents his blood. So how do we drink the blood of a covenant that was poured out for forgiveness of sins rather than trample the blood of the covenant and treat it as an unholy thing? Well, right before that, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, we do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so Tina, just to kind of summarize that, when we look at, Why is communion so important? Well, here we see it is an act of submission. It's an act of aligning ourselves with Jesus and the the inauguration of the covenant that he fulfills and Mm -hmm. is the guarantee of. We see that it's also something that we can trample on by our unrepentant sin. And we see, how do we not do that? Well, we we don't forsake coming together. We don't forsake remembering um, what it was. They came together together to celebrate and remember the Passover where God delivered them by which they had no ability to earn themselves. Their deliverance from Egypt was not because of their good deed or not because of uh, anything other than the fact that God just set out to do it. And when we come to service and we come to worship every week, Sometimes when we are taking communion, I will look up because we at Ecclesia take communion every single weekend together, all together at one time. I will look up, and as I look out across our congregation, I see the Passover dinner, but this inauguration of Jesus' covenant where we remember our miraculous deliverance, where we had no ability to afford it on our own But we come together and we don't neglect that coming together for that express purpose. And there is something so powerful about that, that oftentimes I will just look around and and I will think to myself, man, Lord, I, I wonder what this must look like from your view to see us all together, not neglecting to come around your table to remember your body and your blood. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, just to kind of sum us up together. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
right? So that's the point. What does Melchizedek have to do with communion? Why is communion so special and so important? Uh, Melchizedek prefigured Christ. And he gave us the element, he gave these two elements to Abraham, uh, the father of Israel. And Christ is the fulfillment of the priest and king. And he gives these elements to us, the fulfillment of his people, Israel, under a new covenant ratified by his blood. So we see Melchizedek gives these um, as the king and high priest. Christ gives these as the king and high priest, both a part of uh, this this covenant ratified by his blood. And Tina's going to wrap us up today uh, just by kind of sum- summing us up of this fulfillment in our relationship with Jesus as our king and high priest who mediates on yeah. our behalf with God, our way to the Father. Well, I love that you said that, like Paul wrote, as often as we participate in communion, mm-hmm. we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And that's our hope. That's right. what we're all waiting on. Yeah, we are heralding his return. Sure. We are proclaiming that this is our hope. So we're bringing glory to God in that. And that's what we always want to do. We want to look at how our actions bring glory to God. We want to look for God as we read scripture. But there's something huge for us in this. Yeah. What does our participation in communion, as modeled by what Melchizedek gave Abraham, mean for us? It means that we are also like Melchizedek Mm -hmm. because we're co-heirs with Christ. See, in the New Covenant, Christ has become the complete sacrifice, so he covers our sins. He is our high priest, and he invites all of us into the priesthood. This was prophesied by Isaiah. I want to read you Isaiah 61, 6. It says, And you will be called priest of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. That's a promise Mm -hmm. given about what Christ was going to accomplish when he restored all things through his victory over sin and death. And then 1 Peter 2, 9 affirms this same truth, but it takes it a step further. And I want to sit on this and make sure you hear me because I have quoted and taught 1 Peter 2, 9 for mm. years as I've shared how we today are the fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood Right, in that we are now... Um, acting as those who are helping reconcile people to God, commissioned by Christ. And so I read it and I teach it and I go, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, Mm -hmm. a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But did you catch that? Because I didn't catch this for years. Not just a priesthood. You're not just a priesthood. You're not just the fulfillment of those from the tribe of Levi who stepped forward and said, we're on the Lord's side. When all Israel was in rebellion, worshiping a golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai, it says a royal priesthood. And what is royalty? Mm -hmm. But a description of a king. Right. And so superior to any one lineage, Judah, the tribe of kings, or Levi, the tribe of priests, we are a chosen people. Mm -hmm. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possession. That's what we're proclaiming when we participate in his body and blood in communion. And with our obedience to doing it every week yeah. and not forsaking coming together and not letting that something be something that falls to the wayside or falls flat on us, that is how we show the rest of the world, even those in our immediate sphere, 
this is my commitment. Yes. This is my identity. This is right. who I am in Christ because yes. this is who he, this is how he has created me to walk in fellowship with him. Right. And that's why when we come together, our purpose is communion and tithe. Above all, right? Yeah. We come together for many purposes, sure. but we come to remember who we are in Christ and what we're doing here. We are heralding His right. return. That's what we're waiting on, and these are the two critical ways in which we do it. Right. We're giving because He gave. We yep. remember what He gave, and we give to Him, and we're blessed because of it, and we walk out a living portrayal mm-hmm. of this great restoration that Jesus accomplished as God invites us now into fellowship with Him, He comes and communes with us, we give to Him, and He blesses us. Yeah. We're walking out the whole Melchizedek three-verse narrative <laughs> from the book of Genesis. All of it's foreshadowed there, and then all of it's fulfilled in Christ's relationship with us. So we've gotten into some deep waters today, yeah. but I want you to recognize that everything we've talked about are connections, fulfillments that we can discern from Scripture using just Scripture. Right. We've gone from Genesis to Hebrews mm-hmm. to Zechariah. We stopped by Isaiah. Yeah. And we Matthew. Hung out with Matthew. That's right. But all of this is contained in God's Word, and that is the beauty of it. It is complete. It interprets itself, and every single bit of it points us toward the central truth about Jesus Christ that upholds the character of God, which is that He loves us, and He wants fellowship with us, the same way we saw Melchizedek, fellowship with Abraham in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So all of these connections are also laid out in my book, Step Into Scripture, and I would love for you to pick up a copy of that and walk through the Bible with us. And that way you can get it on Amazon or at renew.org under the books tab. And we also invite you to ask your Bible questions. We would love to dig into them, studying the Bible, talking about the Bible. It's a joy of my life. I know it's a joy of yours as well. And so thank you all for joining us and we will see you back next week. See ya.